Please turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. You may feel a little deceived today since you all have notes that look just like Pastor Bill's notes in your lap, and here I stand. Um, Let me just speak to that for a moment. One, I've had a lot of people really strongly encourage me to give notes. Um, And I told them, I said, you don't really understand uh, what a blessing that is that uh, Pastor Bill put something together like that that's so complete and clean. um, And that's that's pretty cool in and of itself. And it, it takes a little bit of extra work. So that's one thing that our pastor does that is so cool. Um, but secondly, you know, I am here to learn from Pastor Bill. When I was in Tennessee, I really believed that God called me there and He had me to learn from my pastor there, and I certainly did. I love that, that man of God, and he has, been, uh, he has made a huge impact in my life. But when God called me here, I knew that there were many things I had to learn from Pastor Bill, and that continues to this day. And he's very instrumental in my teaching And uh, he has really been a blessing to me in that. So while I'm here and while I'm under Pastor Bill, I, you know, I want to learn his ways, frankly. And so uh, this is good for me. You know, I'm learning all the time. I'm growing, and uh, he's he's a gifted gifted guy. So this is cool. It's cool for me to try something new and try to step it up a little bit. I'm a a little nervous to uh, you know try something different, but um, here we go. So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, we love You, and it truly is a blessing to gather as the body of Christ, and uh, my heart swells with joy when my brothers and sisters come together and I can uh, just meet with them, spend time with them, love on them, God, and uh, to be able to sing corporately to You and to sing praises to Your name and to know that, Lord, You you delight in that, it's pleasing to You, and that You... uh, meet with us here in this place. How sweet is that, Father? So now as we open up Your Word and as we seek to be taught, I pray that You would teach us, that You would be our great teacher, that You would speak to us by Your Holy Spirit through Your inspired, authoritative Word. And I ask God for a special blessing today, Lord. We want to be encouraged. We want to be washed by Your Word. We desire to meet with You and to be transformed more into the image of Your Son. So Lord, please be pleased, be here with us, and move in the hearts and the minds of all of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so today I'm teaching the story of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Most of us know this story pretty well. I'm not going to read the whole text. Um, I'll just kind of read it as we go. But uh, simply stated, um, Jesus... The, the, the multitude gathers, Jesus teaches, He heals, the day is far spent, there is a, a need there. Jesus is he's a compassionate Lord, and he, he wants to meet that need. And so He and His disciples, they, they feed the multitudes. He feeds the multitude of people miraculously. And we'll talk more about that when we get into it. But there is a lot to learn. There is so much to learn. And I, I hope to perhaps come at this from uh, a different angle than uh, we may have heard it before. And I really want to emphasize that this happened because our Lord is compassionate. Because He is compassionate and because He is a shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd. And that is great news for us. We serve a compassionate Lord who is a shepherd. 
He cares for us. He protects us. He leads us. He provides for us. And it's instructive because we want to be like that. We want to model our Lord in that. So not only do we receive that, not only do we have a Lord who loves us that way, but we, uh, we seek to follow that example and model that, to imitate that. And so that's kind of where I'm going with this today. So with that, let's read verses 30-33 through 33 in chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And He said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew Him, and ran there on foot from all the cities, and they arrived before them and came together to Him. So first off, let me uh, just give you the setting here. Jesus had already sent His disciples out in groups of two. That was in chapter 6, verse 7. So they went out healing, preaching, uh, following the Lord's command for them in that. And then the passage was interrupted. Uh, It switches scenes and all of a sudden it starts to talk about Herod. These guys were going out, they were preaching the kingdom, they were doing many mighty works. And all of a sudden, Herod is in the picture and he's hearing this and he's thinking, oh, I know what this is. John the Baptist has come back from the dead to get me. And so that's what Pastor Bill taught about last week. And it was that really heavy story about uh, people who are bound up in sin and what that does to an individual. And so we heard the story of John the Baptist and how he had confronted Herod and Herodias and eventually that led to his death and he was beheaded and, and taken away. And then now we come back. So the disciples had gone out in groups of two to minister, switch scenes over to Herod, the story of John the Baptist. That took place. And now we are resuming the story in uh, verse 30. The disciples have returned, and Jesus is encouraging them to rest in verse 31. So first off, what we notice here is that Jesus is concerned about the well-being of His servants. Um, I think of that verse that says, Come to Me, all you who are uh, burdened, you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, He says that His yoke is easy. And uh, I had recently heard that what that literally means is uh, the yoke is well fitted by the Master. So the burden that we carry, I've heard it said that you can tell what kind of master a slave had by the burden that the slave carried. That that would tell you a lot about the master. If it was a heavy burden, a heavy load, it was a harsh master. If it was a light load, you had had a a good master, a considerate master. And Jesus said, I have a well-fitted yoke for you. Come to Me. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Serving the Lord is a joyful thing. It can be exhausting at times. It can be sacrificial. But it's well fitted. That is our Lord. He's concerned about the well-being of His servants. He doesn't want to just drive them into the ground. He wants to take care of His servants. So He encourages them to find rest. Jesus modeled this for us. He modeled retreating and refueling regularly. He would get away from the crowds. He would arise early in the morning and He would meet with the Father in prayer and He would get recharged. 
Jesus modeled that for us, and Jesus encouraged His disciples to do that, and we have to stay on top of that for ourselves. Sometimes we carry a burden that wasn't given to us by the Lord. Sometimes we have, uh, it's not a very well-fitted burden because it's not a burden that Jesus put on us at all. Perhaps we've taken things upon ourselves that are driving us into the ground, but it's not the Lord doing that. The Lord would encourage us to find rest. The Lord would encourage us to recharge. Burnout is real. Burnout is real, and there is a difference between burnout and being tired. You know, to, to be tired is normal, and we should. We should serve, we should function in every capacity to the point of being tired. And there's something very satisfying about that, is there not? When you do a good job, when you work hard, whether it's serving uh, in ministry or uh, doing something on the job site or around the home or whatever the case may be, at the end of the day when you're, the job is done and you're tired, that is satisfying. That's a good thing. But burnout is something totally different. Burnout is when you become bitter, you become frustrated, people are an, an annoyance to you. Uh, when ministry becomes that way, there's a problem. When people become an annoyance, uh, a burden, a hassle, uh, there's, that's a real problem. Okay, And ministry is people business. And it's important for pastors, leaders, servants across the board to be getting rest, to be recharged, um, to have that, that biblical Sabbath. Where we talk about the Sabbath, we don't gather on Sunday because of the Sabbath. That's not what this is. But the, the concept is, is a day of rest. A day of rest where we... We just shut everything down and we recharge. That's biblical. That was our Lord. He modeled that. He encouraged His disciples to do that. So, they set out to a deserted place. They set out to a deserted place to do that. So, they would frequently escape by crossing the Sea of Galilee. I've taught a few passages already where they would do that. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. And then He would set out and cross the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side. At one point, there was a storm they encountered as they crossed. He was asleep in the boat. You remember that? And then he gets to the other side, and there's a demon-possessed guy that they had to deal with. He casts that guy out, and then all the, the people in the region begged Jesus to please leave and get out of there. So he had to get back in the boat, go back across the sea. And so now he's healing Jairus, uh, Jairus' daughter. He dealt with the woman with the issue of blood. Then he goes back across the sea and so on and so forth, and now they're going back, and so back and forth they go. We see this happen regularly. So that's what they did. They set out uh, to get away from the crowd because it said that there were many people coming and going, and so they wanted to get away from all that so that they could rest. But the crowd knew where they were going, and the crowd actually beat them to the other side. That amazes me. I'm sure that the whole crowd didn't make it. One of the commentators said most likely it was just the younger, stronger, faster people. Uh, it's not probably not likely the entire crowd made it, but a, a bulk of the crowd was there, and I'm sure more and more were, were accumulating as, as it went on. I am certain at this point the disciples were greatly frustrated. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be frustrated? I know I would be. And uh, what I notice here is that Jesus is not frustrated. Jesus is not frustrated. In fact, Jesus is compelled by compassion. Jesus is compelled by compassion. <clears throat> Which leads us to point two here. And we are looking at the compassionate shepherd and the scattered sheep. 
Verse 34. If you'll read along with me. And Jesus, when He came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So He began to teach them many things. So Jesus wasn't annoyed. He had compassion for the crowd. He saw them and His heart broke a little bit. And He saw them as sheep scattered, not having a shepherd. So He taught them many things. So first... I'd like for you to notice with me the patience of Christ. The patience of Christ. Jesus was not annoyed by the people coming to Him incessantly. He just wasn't. And I find great comfort in that. I find comfort in knowing that I can always, always, always come to the Lord. Amen? Small things, big things, you know, medium things, morning, night, middle of the night on the way to the work to work wherever whenever whatever we can come to the Lord he encourages that because the Lord loves us um, he's compassionate towards us we have a faithful merciful compassionate high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us isn't that amazing the bible says that he ever lives to intercede for us he is praying on our behalf to the father always so we can come to him all the time, at any time. Small, large, doesn't matter. And I've heard people say that to me. I feel bad praying about this or that. And I'm thinking, don't. We should come to the Lord for everything. We need Him. Do we not? Always. It shouldn't be like, okay, this is really huge. I need the Lord. But I can handle this. I can handle that. No, you cannot. You can't handle anything. We can't handle anything. A a, a preacher that I love dearly Um, He used to say, you cannot preach apart from the power of the Lord, apart from the Holy Spirit. But now he would say, you can't tie your shoes apart from the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just the truth of it. You know, so we can come to the Lord all the time, small, large, always. And he's not annoyed by that. Now, Notice at times, Jesus would confront poor motives. Jesus would confront poor motives for people following Him. In fact, after He feeds the people the bread, later on they continue to follow Him and He confronts them for that. He says, look, you're following Me because you ate the bread and were filled. So there comes a point where Jesus meets them where, where they're at, but he, he wants to take them far, farther. You know, He wants to address that. And it would seem that the only thing that really annoyed Jesus was hypocrisy, and lack of faith. I mean, he would go toe-to-toe with the religious elite. He did not put up with uh, hypocrisy. That was something that really bothered him, particularly when it was a stumbling block to the sheep and it kept people away from God. Jesus would get serious when it, when it came to that. Next, notice with me the heart of Christ. It says that He was moved with compassion. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I've talked about it so many times before, but that word for compassion there is actually the same word that is used for our organs. Okay, liver, kidneys, um, our stomach. And that's really fascinating to me because Jesus felt compassion in in His core. In the core of His being, Jesus was moved with compassion. Uh, this word is translated as um, bowels in the King James Version. At one point, uh, Paul actually says to Philemon, uh, refresh my bowels in the Lord. 
And that sounds so bizarre to us. In other translations, it says, refresh my heart in the Lord. And that makes more sense. And that's why um, nowadays it's translated as heart. Um, that's kind of an archaic term uh, that we wouldn't understand it so well. But we get that, you know, when we are nervous and we have butterflies in our, our stomach or laughing till your sides split. We understand that intense emotion. We feel it in the core of our being. And that's the way it was for Jesus. When He saw these people... He felt it to the core. I mean, think about that. Jesus had great compassion for this crowd. I mean, He was moved by it. He was rocked by it. He could not help but respond to the needs of this crowd. That's who He is. That's how He is. And I love that. Jesus felt compassion from the very core of His being. I don't have the time to get into this like I had thought about, but you'll notice in your notes that there's... um, Point four there under B, the impassibility of God. I've been taking a couple of um, seminary courses here as of late. I did theology proper last uh, semester, and, and this uh, semester I'm taking uh, Christology. So I've been throwing more theological terms out at you guys for my theology students in here. I have a lot of fun with that. I know some of you do too. Um, and I had recently learned of uh, this idea called the impassibility of God, which actually suggests that God, um, He has no emotion. He has no uh, feelings and He can't be affected as such. Like something cannot happen and then change the way God feels, so to speak. Um, This was an idea supposedly that was made popular by the the Puritans. And there is a verse that they used to back that up, though I don't don't think that that's an accurate interpretation of the verse. I'm disagreeing with this idea. When I was taught it, my professor said, yeah, we don't... We don't believe that. Um, and we see Jesus as the God-man responds with, uh, with compassion and, and a number of emotions. But um, even in the Old Testament, God uh, would respond. God was the Father. He was compassionate. He, sometimes He would be, uh, become angry. I mean, God had emotion. And so I was just thinking about that as I was studying through this and realizing Jesus as God incarnate demonstrates emotion. He was moved by uh, the scattered sheep to the very core of His being. Moving on, see the scattered sheep. As previously stated, Jesus didn't see the people as an annoyance, but as scattered sheep. The Good Shepherd came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? The Good Shepherd came to seek and save the lost. These were the very people for which He came. The Lord came to save. Now, the religious people, they would get really frustrated with Jesus for hanging out with the common folks or hanging out with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And He saw people as hurting, as scattered, as having need of a shepherd, and He is that shepherd. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And there may be some in here today who need the shepherd. You're here and you're lost. You don't know the Lord and you know you don't know the Lord, but the Lord loves you and He is seeking you out. Do you think? Why do you think you're in this room right now? Why do you think you're here? The Lord is drawing you to Himself. The Lord, innocent and just, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took our place on the cross We were scattered. We were lost. We were alone. 
We were dying in our sin. We were underneath our guilt and our shame and our sin weight and our end was certain. It was death. It was eternal hell. It was eternal separation from God the Father. But God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world came. And He died for us. Jesus is the Shepherd. Jesus is the Lamb. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? The marvelous wonder of our God. The unsearchable riches of His plan. The magnificence of His beauty. The splendor of His holiness revealed in the cross. How He could be just and merciful. How He could be the just and the justifier. He did it through the cross. He sent His Son to die for us. The shepherd came and He called us to Himself. He has made us clean. He has made us new. He has made us whole. He has brought us into the fold of God. And here we are as sons and daughters of the Most High because of our Good Shepherd. Amen? Amen. And if you don't know that, you can know that today. Today, you can have this salvation. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be made new. You can be washed whiter than snow. You can be a member of the family of God. D, you'll notice that Jesus had compassion for their souls first. It tells us in Mark that Jesus began to teach them many things. And in Luke, it tells us that He healed any who had need. And then He fed them. So Jesus spent the day ministering to their, their souls. He, he taught them. He taught the people. And then when the day was far spent, He fed the people. So we see His priority. Alright, point three, compassion and action. Read with me in verse 35. When the day was now far spent, His disciples came to Him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and the villages to buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But He answered and said to them, <clears throat> "Excuse me, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So first, there is a problem. The problem is it's late. They're in the middle of nowhere and the people don't have any food. So the disciples have a suggestion. The disciples are being pragmatic here. They're just looking at the need. Let's just get this done. Let's send the people away. And that was their first response. Get rid of the crowd, Jesus. Okay, it's the end of the day. It's, it, you know, it's... Get late. Uh, everyone's tired. We're concerned about these people. We're concerned about their needs. So send them away and let them figure it out. That's kind of what's going on here. And uh, no doubt that they were beyond exasperated. And as I had said earlier, Jesus encourages rest. He encourages rest. But notice that Jesus is also willing to serve to the point of exhaustion when necessary. So Jesus encourages rest, but will serve to exhaustion when the need is there. So Jesus' solution. He's testing them. They said, let them figure it out. Jesus said, no, you figure it out. You take care of it. Perhaps Jesus is teaching them to persevere in their ministry to the people. Don't be so quick to give up. 
Don't stop short. Keep going. Perhaps Jesus is teaching them that they ought to trust Him to minister to the people's needs. They were so quick to assume that Jesus didn't have an option. Jesus didn't have a plan. Uh, Let's just send them out. Let them figure it out. How often does our first response resemble that? How often is that our first response? We may stop short when Jesus wants to do more. Maybe the Lord wants to use you, but you're not even thinking like that. You're thinking... Uh, I can't do anything for, for this person or this situation. Uh, go over there, you know. Or God may present a problem and you may say, here I am, Lord, send them. <laughs> you know, uh, how often is that our response? We may stop short when Jesus wants to do more. Instead of assuming there are no options, try asking the One who can make a way when there doesn't appear to be a way. How many times have we seen the Lord do that? How many times have we seen the Lord bring rivers in the desert? Streams in the wilderness? A road when there wasn't a road? A way when there wasn't a way? I have seen the Lord do that so many times in my life. And with that, that leads us to the Lord's miraculous provision. Verses 38-44. through But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were all filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. So first I want to talk about the significance of this miracle. This is one of the only miracles that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. This and the resurrection of Christ. Recorded in all four of the Gospels. That's unique. That's interesting. Um... Feeding of the 5,000, this is one of the two creative miracles that Jesus did. Jesus, you know, He brought the dead to life. He cast out demons. He stopped the storm and calmed the sea. He did many things. But one time He turned water into wine, and another time He multiplied bread. He actually, uh, you know, we, we talk about how the Gospels are a demonstration of Jesus as Son of God, God incarnate. And just as God created, so did His Son. Those were two very significant miracles of Christ. And what is interesting about that is they both involve something that that pictures His his, uh, death. The blood and the body being broken, the the bread and the wine. Um, Don't know, but it's it's interesting to, to consider and to point that out. I will say that many people have come up with uh, ridiculous ways to explain this away. And one of, the, one of the liberal interpretations of this I have heard is that there was a, a, a lad, as it says, that came and he had five loaves and, and uh, two fish. And he was selfless. He was willing to share. And he did that and the people around were struck to the heart by this. And they were moved. And they said, you know what? I'm going to share too. And it just so happened they all had food and they had it tucked away in their robes. 
and they, they gave, and wouldn't you know it, they had 12 baskets left over. They had more than enough to share. Uh, but in their stinginess, um, they wouldn't do it. But they were, they were moved by this young man's heart of generosity. It's ridiculous. Stuff that people come up with. Alright, moving on. I'd like to say this. Jesus can do a lot with a little. Jesus can do a lot with a little. The disciples didn't think that five loaves were enough to be of use. And we may be tempted to think that what we have to offer isn't that much. It's not enough to make a difference. Maybe you think, oh, I'm not gifted enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money to really make a difference. We may be tempted to think that way. But the reality is the Lord can do a lot with a little. I remember when I was a, a young believer, I was working at a wood shop, and uh, we were just covered up with work. And my, my employer was a, a godly guy, and he's over there working, and he is just surrounded with, with tables of, of doors that he was building, and he was stressed, and it was obvious. And I was over at my table working, and I was really excited about the things of the Lord, and I thought about this, and I felt that I was called to go over there and just boldly proclaim to him, that if the Lord could feed that multitude with, with five loaves and two fish, He could do all this work with your two hands, so stop sweating it. And I thought that He would really appreciate that and be like, you know what, you're right, man, good for you. He looked at me like he wanted to hit me with the hammer in his hand, and I thought, oh, okay, I tried. And I kind of walked away. It's funny how sometimes we have that zeal early on and, and we're just swinging a sword um, but it's funny to think. But the reality is He could. The Lord could. And the Lord can use whatever we have, no matter how small or insignificant it may be. And we think of Moses. Moses said, I'm not eloquent. I'm not articulate. I can't speak with boldness. And the Lord wanted to use him, I think, for that very reason. What about Gideon? Gideon had an arm. Okay, first he was kind of a cowardly guy with a sizable army. But God said, no, get rid of him. No, he just kept whittling it down until he had 300 men. God actually delights to use the lesser. The less that, that a person has to offer, the more glory God gets when he does something major with it. God delights in using small, insignificant things. God can do a lot with a little. So don't, don't be deceived by thinking that what you have to offer isn't enough. Because Jesus can multiply that. He can use that. And I pray that regularly in different ways. And one in particular, when I, when I give financially, I, I try to make that an act of worship from the heart. It's not just crossing off a religious duty on my checklist. I will pray, Lord, please take this and multiply it. Make it useful for Your kingdom. It's not much, but what I have to give, God, take it and make it useful for Your kingdom. Just as You multiplied the loaves and the fish. Do that with whatever I have to give. And I want to encourage you guys. You have something to give. You have something to offer. The Lord can take it and use it for His glory and for His kingdom. And don't ever think that what you have is so insignificant or, or uh, useless because the Lord delights in using the small things. He delights in using the insignificant All right. Jesus had a plan and they would have missed out. The disciples were ready to send the people away. Jesus stepped in and took control. He had a plan. 
Don't be too quick to assume that the Lord doesn't have a plan for you. Don't be so quick to assume that the Lord doesn't want to use you in a certain situation. Don't be so quick to assume that the Lord can't use you. As we've already said, the Lord can when we think that He can't, and the Lord will when we think that He doesn't want to. Maybe you've been praying for someone or for something for a long time, and you're ready to give up. Maybe you just stopped praying. Maybe you're to the point where you're, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're discouraged, and you're not going to pray anymore. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Because the Lord may have a plan. The Lord might just about be ready to respond. The, more, the Lord might be planning to do something when you don't think that He is. Persevere. Persevere in ministry. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. And then notice that Jesus uses His disciples in the process. This is so cool to me. The disciples became an extension of Jesus' compassion. The disciples became an extension of Jesus' compassion. Jesus does not need our help, but He uses us as agents of His compassion. Isn't that cool? The Lord will use us. The disciples saw the miracle of Jesus. This is just a little side point here. The people that were far out in the crowd probably didn't even know what was happening. But Jesus is multiplying the bread, giving it to the disciples, and then they're taking it out and and dispensing it in the crowd. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you're going to get to see. That's That's pretty awesome. I want to be close to the Lord. I want to be right there where the fire is. I want to be right in the action. I want to be right by the Lord. I want to be used by Jesus as an extension of His mercy, as an agent of His grace. I want to be used in the process. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to assume that there's not an opportunity, that the Lord doesn't have a plan. Just send them away. Let them figure it out. No, I want to seek the Lord's face. I want to go to the Lord. I want to be used of the Lord to be an extension of His compassion and His mercy. So in closing, just a little bit of a recap. Jesus operated from a posture of compassion. That's our Lord. And so should we. First off, let me say this. How do you do that? How do you conjure up compassion? One, I would say we can't. Okay? We can't make our hearts be anything other than what they are. Frankly, they're, they're wretched. And uh, I think it's natural for us to be very compassionate for us. Right? I want all kinds of compassion. Um, maybe I'm not thinking about other people. So we have to go to the Lord. Lord, give me compassion. Give me that heart. Give me a broken heart. Give me your eyes to see. We understand that. Secondly, I would say it helps to be around the hurting. That's one of the reasons why mission trips are so beneficial. We go to be a blessing, but the reality is we're blessed. And when you're there with the hurting and with the needy, uh, it does something to you. And we don't have to go overseas to do that. That's happening right here in Napa. If you'll put yourself in a place where there's need, you're going to be more likely to experience a broken heart and compassion. But out of sight, out of mind, in the comfort of our own little kingdom, our own little uh, home, you know, we're, and we're far removed from the issues and the needs, hard to have a broken heart. Hard to have a broken heart and compassion for people. So we want to be in the midst. And I would say that the more that we mature, the more that we grow into Christ's likeness, the more we will have His heart. 
So the, the deeper that we go, the, the more that we seek the Lord and, and want to be like Him, we're going to grow and we'll be compassionate as He is compassionate. Jesus encouraged rest but was willing to serve sacrificially out of compassion. I will say that the best opportunities to serve will happen uh, when we're tired, uh, when it's inconvenient, when we don't feel like it. That's, that's when it will happen. But Jesus served sacrificially and so should we. And lastly, don't assume that Jesus doesn't want to do something or cannot do something. He can use you. He wants to use you as an extension of His mercy. Amen? All right, worship team, if you'll come up. We'll have a few people up here praying for you, those who are normally up front, if I could get you guys to come up. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And uh, love you guys. Bless you. Our Lord is good. He's compassionate. He's faithful. He's merciful. He loves us. Draw close to Him. Seek Him. And, and we want to be compassionate and we want to be merciful and love others as He has loved us. Jesus, we love You. We thank You for your, your great kindness towards us. We thank You that You were compassionate towards us. That You had mercy on us. You saw our need and You felt it to the core of Your being and You gave Your life away to secure our lives. And we worship You for that, Lord. So we ask that we would live in that reality, that we would glory in that, and that we would share that and that we would be extensions of mercy and compassion, and that we would love our brothers and sisters, love our community, love the world around us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.